Welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss modern-day Jane Austen adaptations. Now covering Emma Approved, I'm Jillian Davis. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. Keep up with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Pemberley. You can help support our running costs on patreon.com slash thepemberley. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, everyone. Because we are no longer opening with Jane Austen news. We're just going to chat. We're going to chat. We're going to talk about us. For like a minute or two. (laughs) Yeah, just to let you know what's going on. A little more about us. Our life. Yeah, because we're friends IRL. We hang out. And we want to tell you about recently, we saw Bo Burnham's movie Eighth Grade together. Oh, man. And, and there was a Q&A after with Bo yeah, actually, that's two that, of the actors. It's kind of a genius. That's like the marketing angle that they're taking because it's an independent movie. Yeah. So I don't know how much, you know, money. They, although I feel like they have a ton of movie for mar- money for the marketing because I'm seeing ads for it everywhere. Well, now that there's like been a good response in the small limited release, they're like really putting a lot of money behind it. Yeah. But if you don't know, Bo Burnham is a formerly a, he's still a stand-up comedian, but he has a few specials up on Netflix, and he this is his, his writing, directorial debut. Well, uh, his feature directorial debut, yeah. and uh, this is a movie that he's written all about a girl going through her last week of eighth grade, and it's all like the fun, awkward, cringeworthy moments of that age. Even though like this movie is so set in today, today yeah, like the year. kids have smartphones, yeah. It's like st- a lot of it is still so relevant to people of all ages because if you've been through eighth grade, you relate to so much about this character. It's a really, it was a really very a, a good movie and it was very yeah. raw and I very feel like real. I was covering my face so many times because yes. I was like such cringeworthy stuff that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, um, she's doing that. She's too young. Yeah. She's just, I mean, think about it. So, like, you and I were part of that last generation of like kids who didn't have iPhones. In middle school, because they didn't yeah, exist. that's true. That's, that's insane. I didn't like, think about that. Just, like, seeing her obsession and, like, communicating with everyone over Instagram, like, that's stuff I didn't come into until I was an adult. Like, I didn't get a Twitter account until, like, I went into my freshman year of college. I remember MySpace started to become a thing in my eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. And it was only, like, a handful of us that yeah. had it. And it started to become a bigger thing in high school for me. And then people started to f- pick up Facebook. So it was, like, this sort of gradual introduction into social media but it was never like a full-blown thing that people were actively into or that everyone was following each other i think it is a very new age for the younger generation now to be so involved in that i just realized something think about how we're talking about this we're like social media versus real life yeah as in what happens but, on as if what happens you know on what? the internet yeah is like false or fake i guess that's that is uh, a distinction that maybe i still make sometimes but i do forget that yeah for the younger generation there is no difference like, like re- online, online is real life is re- yeah exactly. that you're right i like tend to make that distinct well it's weird because i intellectually know that social media is important to keep yes. in contact with various people and obviously like we use it for work and for the podcast mm-hmm. but like i feel like if you were to if all the power were to go out Whatever was happening on social media doesn't affect you, you know? Yeah. Social media relates in a big way to these series that we've been covering. It's transmedia. We just, like, got very deep. Anyway, see eighth grade. See eighth grade. It's great. Um, It's really good. So moving on past that. (laughs) So back to the series at hand. Yeah. So previously, what we've been discussing is that 
Annie Taylor has decided to go ahead and cancel her wedding and Emma is determined to not do that for Annie. So let's jump into the episode with episode five, Do What's Best, written by Bernie Sue. So Alex Knightley jumps in and he's like, Your friend Annie Taylor has asked us to cancel her wedding to our client, Ryan Weston. I'm aware. And he's basically relaying to Emma the fact that their company is liable for all these deposits that Annie signed. Like, she did her part. She signed all the forms and said, get me the money back and cancel everything. And Emma hasn't done any of that. And this is for a six-figure wedding. And they're on the hook for all of that. Yeah. Knightley is very in the right of of trying to save their company and save whatever finances they have because paying for that, I'm sure, would make them bankrupt. And yep. That's not good business sense, Emma. It's just but not. Emma has her own vision and her own plan, and so she's just like, look, watch me save our save this wedding and save this entire situation that I know what's best. And he brings up a good point. He's like, first of all, how do you know this marriage is even worth saving? Because Annie's like making all the steps to backpedal from this. He's brought up the question that should have been the first question that's been Which asked. Which is why, like, first of all, why do they want, like, how do you know that this is even like worth saving? The way Annie says Ryan, she smiles. She can't help herself. She even did it the last time she was here. It's the same thing when Ryan says Annie. A name? Which is a very sweet reason, but that's like the only reason she's going off of right now. She's going off of a whim because the next answer, okay, great, they're meant for each other, they're in love, but then Knightley's asking, if they're so in love, then why does Annie want to cancel this wedding? And should love conquer all? Shouldn't, exactly, and he says that, and she's like, well, love needs help, and so <laughs> I think that's the big question is like, if she does love Ryan so much, why does she want to cancel the wedding? And that's when she's like, Harriet, just Google his family. Just <laughs> yeah. figure out whatever. Stalk him un- until you- the ends of the internet that's- and we're going to figure out what's going on. And it's so vague too, because she's like, what am I looking for? And she's like, anything. And I'm like, what do you mean anything? That's like, like I I feel like, especially given how quickly Harriet returns the call to like, hey, I found something. I'm like, how quickly did you just do that? And you know, and how did Emma not find that immediately? Well, and you know what's interesting is like she doesn't even find. It was kind of a collaborative effort because it's not as if Harriet came back and she was like, there was one relative who didn't send a gift and didn't RSVP. Like they had to go through a whole conversation about, okay, what about this person and that person and that yeah, person? Yeah, it's like Emma are kind of already knew what was going on, but I think she just needed to be shown the exact clues and very Sherlock way, pieced everything together and was like, oh, that's right, I knew all along. She's very Sherlock. Let me guess, Ryan's mom, who's busy with her fifth marriage, dad's finding himself in Borneo, aunt is climbing the French Alps, and cousin who's exploring the outback. If I had this information, would I come to the same conclusion as Emma, which is Ryan's stepbrother, who he's very close to, didn't send a gift, and didn't RSVP, and now the bride is trying to cancel the wedding. Like, I mean, it's a very noble cause, to be sure. Annie's like, like Frank's fa- or um, Ryan's family should be more important to him than me, and because his stepbrother doesn't like me, it must mean that like we can never be truly happy. So I, I may yeah. as well just end this. I think it would be suspicious, but I don't think I would jump to the conclusion. Oh that, no! Like, oh yeah, Annie is completely canceling this wedding because he didn't RSVP, he didn't send a gift. I would like, definitely think of everything but that. I'd be yeah, like, who be did like, he cheat on with her? Well, no, I'd be like, oh, he just forgot. Like, that's not a conclusion that I, I would come to. I'd be like, yeah, he's going to send one eventually. They're rich and he's in a retreat uh, where he's completely unreachable. He'll get to it eventually, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, Emma sees what she sees and she goes to that conclusion. I like that, uh, the nightly reveal that he was listening in on Emma and Harriet. So I think it's funny that he sees her conniving ways and is like trying to stop her, but he knows he can't. He's powerless. (laughs) He's powerless, yep. We're We're dipping into episode six, Let's Be Frank, also written by Bernie Sue. I do love that title. (laughs) Let's be frank. Let's be frank. Yes. Basically, Emma has come to the conclusion that Frank's lack of RSVP and gift is what's driving a wedge between Annie and Ryan. Yeah. And she's very persistent. She steals Knightley's phone. She knows the passcode. She's trying to get Frank Churchill's information. I gotta say, I'm kind of surprised Emma herself doesn't have it because it sounds like Frank Churchill has several business ventures with her dad. And like, she knows Annie and Ryan. So like, she should have met him by now. It's not something that I think she wanted to go to her dad for. Like, hey, can you just pass along this contact info? And also Alex is right there and she can, she knows his passcode. Code, apparently. And she can control him. Yeah, she, she can't can control her dad. Get her, get the info she needs and go from there. Yep. But I don't know. I don't know if it's someone that she's met before. I'm sure they're in similar circles where they, they know of each other. Yeah. But maybe it's just a thing where they haven't met each other yet. She basically spends forever on the phone with his assistant begging her to pass yeah. her through to I like, Frank. I like that she tells Harry to like listen and learn. First she does that with Knightley and then, you know, things don't really pan out with the voicemail she leaves. You have to understand, this is regarding a very sensitive family issue with Mr. Ryan Weston. Yes, your personal employment is at stake and you have strict instructions. I respect that. But, Michelle, I'm going to send you something. Just think about that and hopefully we can help each other out. But I do like that she bribes this poor assistant, Michelle, with these very expensive sunglasses, which I did look up. So oh, she, she sent Valentino sunglasses and I looked it up and those sunglasses can go for up to... Four hundred and ten dollars. Wow. I don't know what kind of specific sunglasses Emma got her, so maybe they were like in the two to three hundred dollar range. I have never spent that kind of money on sunglasses. No, I would never. <laughs> I've like maybe gotten my sunglasses for free yeah. and at mall kiosks. Yeah, exclusively. The sunglasses I have right now in my purse were free. <laughs> so. I think I got mine at Charming Charlie's and I'm shocked that they're still in one piece. Yeah, yeah. It does make me wonder what kind of budget this office is working with and me the fact too. that Knightley approved it. So I know it was technically Knightley approved. Yeah. Because she's like finished this errand boy. <laughs> expense, I guess, for the office. Yeah. He was like, you know what, at this point, I just got to go with it. It's a tax write-off. Yeah, it's Emma's world and we're all just living in it. But it works and she gets yeah. through to Frank. I mean, it's funny because even though she gets through his line, she gets his voicemail. So it's like amazing to think that you can get that far. I know. And still like not get him in person. Well, this guy is on some kind of a retreat where he's unreachable. So the fact that she got through to voicemail is great. Yeah. But also I like that they show her leaving multiple voicemails. Which does that mean she had to redial the assistant every time to get patched through? Do you think she had to get a new pair of sunglasses for every, each call? Every time. No, I don't think so. I would hope that one pair of $300 sunglasses was enough to get patched through at least three times. You never know. <laughs> $100 per voicemail, basically. Yeah, I love watching her slowly descend into madness. Like, hey, it's me. Like, I am Emma Woodhouse, and I'm here to tell you to, like, she's kind of like a nagging wife. She's like, RSVP, or send a gift, please. Yeah, and then, how dare you not oh, RSVP? And then she descends into, like, sitting on the couch and saying things like, please call me back so we can chat. 
Look, Mr. Churchill, this is actually important. Ryan is important to you, and Annie is important to him. And she's important to me. You need to come to this wedding or send a gift or something. Please call me back immediately. And, and then, then, yeah, they get to that, she gets to that point of desperation where she's like, okay, Harriet's even like, okay, we've done all we can. We left all the voicemails. We just have to wait. Emma is not someone to just sit around and wait for some man to, to respond call. and call. Who has the time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she tells Harriet to turn off the camera. They're going to stop recording, which I th- was a very deliberate move by Emma because obviously this is her documenting her greatness this is one part of her greatness that she doesn't want to be caught on camera. It's clearly... Because very questionable methods may now be going into this investigation. Clearly not her greatest moment. No. <laughs> she is doing shady things and I'm living for it. Yeah. I'm here for every moment of it. We'll never know what actually went, ha- what happened in the room, but... No, we were not in, in the, the room. room where it happened. No, we weren't. I'm living for this drama. I can't wait to see what happens next, what she does to him. This wedding isn't over yet. There's also, I forget which episode it was, but like Knightley was like, why is Frank Churchill written in big black letters in our conference room? (laughs) It's hilarious. Just like the target of this entire office now is Frank Churchill. I'm imagining that meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie Day has like the conspiracy of like, I've got boxes full of Pepe. (laughs) That's, that's what's going on. <laughs> I'm here for it. Let's go to the comments then. Jumping to the comments section where we read original YouTube comments from when the episodes first aired, starting with episode five. Tracy says, LOL, I love how people are saying they can't stand Emma. Any Austin fan knows Emma is insufferable in the beginning. Then we see her grow into, my opinion, one of Austin's best characters. Cannot wait. We have an Emma fan. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Little Oxford Street says, devil wears prada much the way emma makes these demands and expects people to just move when she snaps it's yeah it's very a little it's it's like a pre amanda Priestley before she becomes miranda Priestley. amanda Priestley in the making yeah and she does snap she's like yes yeah (laughs) and then harriet does a little like oh i should do that i should snap because emma snaps i should snap i should do everything emma does yeah caitlin says Emma tends to present an artificial front. That's why in the book she was always starting projects and not finishing them and thinking she knew best for others. I think they're nailing it. Yeah. Yeah, she's, because especially this is for like this award, she just wants to be presenting herself as just completely perfect. So this is a very artificial front of this is my best self and you can't see any flaws. Yep. Gracie Robert says, I think it's just because Emma is such a control freak. She's putting on a show because she's documenting her greatness. Everyone else is acting awkward because it's weird that she has a camera running all the time. They're not wrong. No. It is weird that she has a camera running all the time. I bet she has plenty of boring things in her day. (laughs) Yeah. That's why it would be interesting if this is like, again, they don't say this is domino, but like if it is like a domino thing. Because as we know from Sanditon, Domino kind of self-edits to like the key parts Mm -hmm. of what Domino thinks is like the most important parts of the day or the conversation. Mm -hmm. So if this is like a Domino thing, it's only editing this. But I don't think it is. But it would be cool if it was it. Episode 6 comments, Liz says, 
I adore that moment she stood up and Alex pulled his knees to his chest. That was so adorable. Was adorable. He was like a child. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> he was like, oh my gosh, Frank Ready Bailey. for this show. Let's I know. see what's going to go, what's, what's going to go down. Uh, Angie says, I love how smug Knightley is that Emma can't get onto his phone. Come on. Like she doesn't know the password, Knightley. Never underestimate Emma. That's true. Hills FR says, I love how Emma introduces herself. Such self-confidence. And poor Harriet is so earnest and eager to be like Emma, like a cute little puppy. <laughs> I can see how the association won't be the best for Emma's ego, though Mr. Knightley in this adaptation doesn't seem to think so. Yeah, Emma doesn't say, hi, my name is Emma. She just goes, I am Emma Woodhouse yes. in every scenario. Yeah. Shelby says, I love how she declares, I am Emma Woodhouse, like she's the Queen of England or something. Yeah. She, yep. She talks as if like everyone knows her name and everyone should know her name. What age do you think she nailed down that intro? Oh, like, do you think like, she was five years old yeah, and she I was, was gonna like, say, I am Emma Woodhouse. I was gonna say she was five and saying that in the playgrounds and being and like, like, I want to get on this swing. I am Emma Woodhouse. Yeah. And then they just didn't stop. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure that's something her father instilled in her. It's like, you are a Woodhouse and you'd be proud of that. She's like, yes, I am a Woodhouse. <laughs> so, I mean, the plot thickens. We're, you know, we have Frank Churchill in the mix now and we're going to see what plan Emma concocts to try to save this wedding still. We're still like, on trying to save the wedding. I feel like we need to talk about the fact that she could still be totally wrong. Yeah. She could be way off base yeah. and it's like they actually have some dark skeletons in their oh, closets. Man. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I want to break with Ryan because I found out he's a serial killer. Or like he cheated on me or something. And she'd be like, oh, no. Oh, I thought I thought it was because like his stepbrother didn't RSVP in a timely what a fashion. What reason would that be? And she'd be like, what? No, he's literally like in, the, in like the forest There's or bodies whatever. in the freezer. Yeah, like that's <laughs> why. Screw Frank Churchill. Oh no! That can we write that version? <laughs> I want that. This is version. the dark version of Emma approved. Emma like disapproved. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll carry on. This episode has been Pemberley Podcast Approved. approved.